Hi guys, you're listening to another podcast from the Heinz Convention Centre. My name's Richard Morrell and I'm joined this morning by podcast royalty, Mr. Dan Walsh. Dan, say hi. Hi, my name is Dan Walsh and I um, uh, worked for Red Hat for many years and I'm fairly well known for my work on SE Linux. SE Linux, where did it come from? Well, SE Linux was originally developed by the uh, National Security Agency uh, in an effort uh, to basically help make more computers secure uh, um, and implement something, a new concept in computers, which is uh, it's sometimes called mandatory access control. But the, the real key factor is that it's type enforcement. When, and what I mean by type enforcement is we can control a process by its type. So, for instance, the Apache process, we can define rules about what the Apache process is allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And then even if the process gets hacked or taken over, it's still an Apache process. So if we write rules that says Apache processes can read Apache content, if the machine is hacked, um, even if it gets root, the Apache process still can only read Apache content. It can't read credit cards in my home directory. It can't read database data. It just is confined to basically um, being an Apache server. If you think about where we came from in Linux security, and Linux security essentially was the ability to tie down your promiscuous demons and using IP chains and IP yeah. tables. It's a huge evolutionary curve, isn't it? Yeah, the I mean, the big difference with um, traditional security like IP tables was you were securing um, just at the at the border to the machine. So you know if if you had a process or a daemon that was listening um, and that process had a bug in it, then you know you get into the machine and, and all you really were able to do is prevent um, access. But in a lot of cases, you want your demons to be listening on, uh, on the network. Um, so with SE Linux, you're controlling you know, each process. Each process is sort of in a GL of itself. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the big changes that's happened uh, with SE Linux over the last few years is this concept of what we call multi-category security, or MCS. And as I explained earlier, SE Linux is about type enforcement, controlling processes by the type. But what happens if you have hundreds or thousands of processes that are at the exact same type? For example, virtual machines mm-hmm. are in the case of... Um, you know, so you have a virtual machine. We can define the rules of what a virtual machine is, but uh, you want another virtual machine that's, that has the exact same rules, but you want to be separated. So we invented things, something called secure virtualization or uh, using MCS. Lately, uh, a couple of years ago, we started working on a thing called OpenShift. Mm-hmm. And now in an OpenShift case, you have thousands of, or even hundreds of thousands of users on a system. Mm-hmm. Each one of the users are basically just like a regular user. And we wanted to uh, make sure that the users don't muck around with each other. So we're actually using SE Linux to control each user on the system. And Literally, we've had up to, I think, a million users uh, in our OpenShift environment, and each one of them is isolated from each other using uh, SE Linux and MCS separation. So it's a very powerful tool that you know um, really adds functionality that wouldn't exist without, um, you know, you couldn't do some of these things in multi-tenancy uh, without a tool like SE Linux to prevent uh, breakout. So traditional jailing, truting, and segregation is a thing of the past now, is it? Yeah, I mean, it, really when you do security, you actually want to do security in depth. So uh, SE Linux is a, an additional tool into it. So you want to jail, use Chirut. You can still um, use SE Linux. We're working on, on container technology now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's basically it, it's security in depth. So you want to put as many barriers in front of uh, users. So you, traditional UID separation, you have traditional... 
Um, as I said, Taroots, um, container technology, uh, SE Linux. There's new tools being developed. Uh, a new tool called SecComp is coming down the road, which mm-hmm. allows you to limit the, occur- the attack surface on the kernel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're constantly working to, you know... <laughs> The, the bad guys are constantly working to uh, uh, attack, and the security people are always constantly working to defend. So, But one of the things that a lot of companies don't realize is the fact that this comes free as part of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Right. In, so, in some ways, we, uh, people have heard the name SE Linux for a number of years, and they, don't, you know, they think that this is a separate product. But SE Linux is actually just a function of the Linux kernel, and it's built right into – it's been in RHEL, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, since uh, – RHEL 4, um, and it's really pretty usable in RHEL 5, and RHEL 6 has uh, really, everybody should run with SE Linux in RHEL 6. Um, and we have some great new um, stuff that's coming out when, uh, when RHEL 7 comes out next year. So it's constantly being improved over the last 10 years. And using Fedora very much as a testing environment as well? <laughs> yeah, I um, run basically Fedora constantly, and um, uh, usually either raw, Rawhide, which is the daily uh, Fedora, because I, I need to see what uh, happens when a new uh, applications get released. I need to constantly watch it, and we, my team works a lot on, you know, on securing new applications. Right now we're working very heavily on OpenStack, for instance, and, mm-hmm. and writing rules of how an OpenStack uh, instance uh, can yeah, work. So as new products that get into or new packages get added to Fedora, we watch for them and actually work with the teams to get SE Linux policy written. So here's something I really don't understand. We have uh, multiple Linux environments out there in the data center. When SE Linux is there and it's free and it's proven and it's documented, why don't other distributions, uh, I'm not going to name them by name, but major distributions that are out there which people consume and use as a compute platform for cloud, why don't they think about using SE Linux? It makes no sense. Yeah, the, um, well, first of all, SE Linux is available on other distributions. Sure. You, can, you can run it on Ubuntu, on Suzy. But um, not by default. Uh, not by default. I mean, it's... My my feeling about security is that if security isn't on by default, then no one's going to use it. So, um, so Red Hat believes in security. We believe in you know having secure systems and and turning on as much security as we can because again that's one of our calling cards. Other distributions have other feelings about this and they they turn it off. And in my opinion, is if if very few people go and add security until they've been hacked, and so. Um, by having it on by default, we're trying to protect our customers and, and our users, you know, right out of the box. So, how do you feel from a pride perspective when you see companies such as Riverbed or Fortinet and other appliances where they build Linux appliances and they're using SE Linux by default? Yeah, I'm I'm happy. Matter of fact, uh, if you're uh, there's a new SE Linux has been ported to the um, uh, to. Android to the phone companies and uh, Samsung S4, the new S4 that's coming out actually has um, uh, SE Linux and, and turn, <laughs> turned on. I mean, SE Linux on it. Sadly, it's turned off by default, but you can turn on SE Linux on a uh, Android phone. And, and I think, that, um, I mean, I don't. I think having SE Linux on an Android phone makes a lot of sense because you sure, can think about. Sure. Um, so you think about all the applications yeah, yeah, yeah. that run on and yeah, and yeah. and the types of things that people are starting to do on on these phones as far as you know doing online banking and stuff like that it's just you know, I, you need a, a new layer of security 
um, that's far greater than you know standard Android can give you. I do a lot of work with governments both here in the U.S. and also across Europe who are using still a huge amount of legacy Solaris and legacy AIX stuff. And their idea of security is a risk registry, a risk register, if you will. So they have an accreditation timeline. They understand what's broken, what, what can be fixed, what can't be fixed, what can be patched. And then they have a, a paper-based control. Those organizations now evolving and migrating to Linux it's a, it's a huge growth curve for them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, actually, though, we've we've made at Red Hat. We've uh, over the last few years, we've actually funded getting towards what's called common criteria, which is, yeah. is the the government has sort of a rule book of of rules that a, a computer has to you have to prove that the computer follows these security standards, and they call it common criteria. And with um, in RHEL 5, we actually got all the way to a thing called Common Criteria, um, called EAL4 Plus, and then we had LSPP, which is the Label Sensitivity Protection Profile. And bottom line, it's a lot of a lot of letters, but that means that you can store um, the highest security, top secret type documents on on these systems, and you can have um, uh, separation, so you can have different levels of data on uh, on a system, top secret, secret. Um, so really, uh, as Linux is the enabling technology that allowed um, us to get to that level, and, and uh, you ask asking proud, you know, what are you proud of? Uh, right now, most uh, almost every rolling vehicle in the uh, United States military has uh, RHEL and SE Linux running on them. So mm-hmm. it's it's all through Department of Defense, all uh, very heavily used um, in, in the government and uh, banking industries, things like that. And it really, you know, it's an enabling technology that allows you to you know, run a system, you know, to set, run a system in a secure environment. This is where I point out that I was the accreditor for two years until 2010 for US DOD, US MOD on all the Linux platforms. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so it was my sign-off for stuff going to Afghanistan and Iraq. Oh, excellent. Yeah, excellent. It was me writing yeah. all the templates. Yeah, I, I often hear uh, complaints about people like you. Or yeah, I wasn't an accreditor. I was, the guy, I was the guy who said no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what I've heard, yeah. One of the stories that I told on a podcast with John Mad Dog Hall uh, about six months ago, we sat down and talked about the, the growth and evolution of free software. There was uh, an, air, an aircraft carrier that was due to sail from the UK, and the aircraft carrier couldn't sail because somebody on board decided that they were going to update the version of SSH on these servers from fresh RPMs. So they broke the, the TOE, the, the common criteria, by using a non-Red Hat source. Now, those servers couldn't be upgraded in in harbor the service had to be taken away to, on off guard the yeah off the ship so a ship had to say stay in harbor for three extra days all the men had to be fed thousands and thousands of pounds just because somebody decided to use fresh rpms as opposed to using their satellite yeah. subscription yeah i mean uh, obviously you should you know use the technology and use the software it, it, it's surprising that that would happen nowadays because you know just updating a system you know from uh, you know, from a Red Hat satellite is so easy, or, um, you know, it's... Uh, Yum, it's your friend. It's not rocket science yeah. at all. Dan, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for making time. I do appreciate it. Okay, thanks. It was very enjoyable.